The rapid spread of the Omicron variant on a global scale makes us fear the worst for Canadians that may think of traveling. Traveling Canadians could contract the virus or get stranded abroad. And that's the breaking news, as you just heard right here on Global News Radio, the federal government asking Canadians not to travel internationally. All right, we got this story covered. We got Jim Byers, Canada's travel guy. He will join us at the bottom of the hour, talk about this when it comes to uh, Canadian travel companies and Canadian travelers in general. Also ahead, Rocco Rossi, head of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. We'll talk to Rocco about any possible or potential lockdowns, what businesses uh, are expecting, are they ready to pivot once again, and what any sort of uh, lockdown would look like and what would it mean for small business in particular. So much to go over when it comes to uh, Omicron, and thankful as always to have vaccine researcher and family doctor, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel with us here on a Wednesday, and the doctor joins us now here on Global News Radio. Dr. Gorfinkel, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, we've got this travel advisory now. The government, as I just mentioned, recommending Canadians uh, cancel or not travel outside the country for a number of weeks. And we do have a reporting as well, Dr. Gorfinkel, that some of the premiers in that meeting with the prime minister last night suggested that they were against this or a return of any sort of uh, restrictions and their argument, some of the premiers anyways we're hearing, is because Omicron is already here. There's already community spread. Do you think uh, canceling your trip or not traveling abroad, as the government is suggesting, is that going to make a difference when it comes to spread, spread of Omicron? Well, if my actions speak for themselves, I had planned to travel and that's all out. It's totally canceled. And the reason is several fold. First of all, Ontario is seeing its case numbers double every three days at this point. Case numbers are just skyrocketing. So if you look at the score pad, Delta versus Omicron. You know, last week we were talking about a few cases. Now we're talking about the total case count is one third Omicron, two thirds Delta. That's how fast it's going up. It's just skyrocketing. So this is it. The health minister, has, the announcement is this. If somebody goes, they go at their own risk because if they test positive coming back, they're not going to be allowed back into Canada. And that's for Canadians. And uh, do we know anything about uh, quarantining? And is that something because, uh, you know, there's the 14-day uh, quarantine and uh, whether or not that has been reinstituted. I'm trying to find some of the details as they're just coming in now. But for those that do decide to uh, travel, uh, I believe uh, the rules have been as, as of right now, you needed to test within 24 hours of boarding a plane back to Canada. Another test, a PCR test, I believe, at the airport, and then you had to quarantine uh, until you got a negative test uh, back. Is that enough still, do you think, in light of this new variant? That's, that's actually correct. So pretty much what they had said before is that everybody coming from a non-U.S. destination would have to get a test. And they would either be handed a home test or be swabbed right there at the airport. And they would have to wait for those results. And warning, those results can take up to three days to get. You're not allowed to leave until you know that your test is negative and the test is positive. You have to wait 14 days. So that's a, that's, it's a, it's a pretty big disincentive to travel, which I think at this point, we really don't have a lot of choice because we cannot afford for our hospitals to become overwhelmed. 
Keep in mind, the number of acute care beds we have in Ontario is actually fairly low. So even if a tiny percentage of a highly vaccinated population got the infection, we will see more hospitalizations as a result. Right now, hospitalizations are low simply because they lag behind case numbers. So yeah, we see our case numbers skyrocketing. They're still low compared to how they were in early May, but they are going up super rapidly because of Omicron, because of its increased transmissibility. And so what does that mean? We're going to be in deep doo-doo if we have a lot more cases a lot sooner. So the idea of mitigation is to try to remember the term flatten the curve. That's kind of what we're doing now. Yeah, we get that we're going to get tons and tons of cases, but let's hope that we can take those hospitalizations and at least put them over a longer period of time. Because right now it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to get people boosted fast enough. And I think that's very sad. All right. Well, speaking of boosters, let's switch from uh, federal to provincial politics. Another press conference is scheduled for a little over an hour from now, 3.30 this afternoon. Premier Ford is expected to make an announcement on booster shots and booster eligibility. And Dr. Gorfinkel, what are you hoping to hear during this press conference? Should boosters be made available to those 18 and over immediately? I think it has to be. I don't think we have any other choice. I love what the UK has done. The UK has basically called in the army. It's got thousands of volunteers working to make sure the population is vaccinated ASAP. You know, understand that even from the time that booster shot enters the arm, you've got two weeks before your body develops immunity. So what does that say? I think it's shameful. I had a conversation with one of my patients just this morning. She's diabetic, she's got cardiovascular disease. And what happens? She's told she can't get the booster because all the spots are taken. She can't even get through the phone lines. We need to be opening up those booster shots and big time. So do we need to call in, do you think, uh, military personnel as well, as you mentioned, the UK doing that? Because uh, my understanding is part of the slow rollout, if you will, of the booster shots is just due to logistics that they're trying to get to some of these clinics back up and running and staffed. Well, this is just it. You see, you see people quitting the pharmacy. They are so overworked in the pharmacies right now. People can't get in. It's a serious problem. And the sad truth is we should have been doing this last week, but let's be forward looking, shall we? Let's just concentrate on what we now can do. Should we call in the military? For sure. Let's get, the, let's get it going. People want to get their shots and are facing serious barriers to getting them. Okay, we talk about uh, increasing booster shots and booster eligibility. And again, we're waiting to hear from that or about that from the Premier at 3.30 this afternoon. What other steps do you think, Dr. Gorfinkel, we need to or should be taking when it comes to uh, trying to limit the spread of Omicron? Well, embracing that booster shots are not going to be the be-all and end-all. So what are we talking? The efficacy of booster shots is going to be 33% to reduce the case the likelihood of actually getting the infection. It's not a huge difference, but it does make a huge difference to getting hospitalized. That you're talking about a 70% reduction in hospitalization two weeks after that booster shot. But what else should we be doing? Absolutely, we should be doing rapid tests. They make a lot of sense because the numbers are going to skyrocket. So you need high numbers for those tests to be accurate, but also understand their limitations. They're best used in individuals who are symptomatic. 
When people are not symptomatic, the likelihood of picking it up is, is only 50%. So in other words, it's going to miss 50% of the cases. So the big concern is that people will do a rapid test and just figure they no longer need to mitigate. They'll take off their mask and they'll increase the size of the gatherings, which is something that should not be happening. These are all imperfectly moving parts and they best work as a unit together, limiting gatherings, wearing the best masks, getting the booster shot, using the tests, but understanding the limitations of all of them. When we talk about mitigating or limiting the effect of Omicron, you just mentioned limiting gatherings. People, as we've been talking about here this afternoon, being asked by the federal government to cancel international trips. Should we consider canceling holiday plans? And by that, uh, I mean not uh, just traveling within Canada to see family, but if you're planning on hosting a big uh, family gathering at your house during the uh, holidays, is it time to consider uh, reducing uh, the size or canceling it outright, do you think? It has to be carefully considered. You know, the problem is, is less than 5% of Ontarians have actually received that booster dose. We see the numbers skyrocketing. I just wish we had the time, but we don't. By the time, you know, the the holidays come around, we're not going to have vaccinated enough people with that third dose. So indoor gatherings in which we're eating, singing, talking, laughing, it's a high-risk behavior. But the bigger deal, if you ask me, is how come we've got all these sporting events going on and the restaurants are fully open? Because we know those are super high risk. Let me, me, sorry, ask you about that because those were my very next questions for you. So let's start with basketball and hockey. I mean, if we're going to have to or we're being asked to limit our holiday and family gatherings, and we talked about this extensively on the show yesterday, a lot of people are uh, saying, well, okay, fine, but then I don't want to turn on my TV and watch 23,000 people at Scotiabank Arena cheering on the Raptors or the Leafs. Is it time to consider uh, reducing the numbers there or maybe, uh, once again, these teams playing without fans in the stands for the safety of all? Absolutely. I mean, come on. This is a brickhead moment. Of course. These are super spreader events, period. You know, even with all the measures I take in my personal GP office, I worry about spreading the disease. And then you have, you have you know, thousands of people gathering and never mind not just gathering, but ordering and yelling and getting the concessions, eating and drinking. I mean, for sure, it's going to be a high-risk activity. And I think that's that's a total no-brainer in my view. And it's terrible because remember, you asked me the same question, what was it, three, four weeks ago? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it does make sense. The numbers are super low. And this is the nature of public health. It changes and it can change on a dime. Omicron is a very humbling disease and should not be underestimated because even if a tiny percentage of a large number of vaccinated people have breakthroughs, Houston, we got a problem. How about uh, restaurants and indoor dining? Is that no longer considered, do you think, in your estimation, a safe activity? Well, again, you know, because so few people have that booster shot, that has to be considered a high risk activity. You know, it's, it's, it's hard because the, what we see now is that public health policy is lagging behind what's happening. We need to be ahead of this. The whole idea is to be proactive. You look at New Zealand. Why did New Zealand have such a great success? Because they embraced all of these forms of mitigation. They embraced vaccination. They were proactive and they were early at it. 
So the key is proactive, not reactive. And of course, public health policy in the past has always been, this is pre-pandemic. Let's, you know, let's just do what we have to do when we have to do it to put as little burden on the population as possible. So that's standard public health, but that's not pandemic public health. Pandemic public health looks at the data and says, how can we best keep the numbers as low as possible? And of course, uh, we're hearing, and I'm going to refer back to that meeting with the Prime Minister and the uh, Premiers from uh, last night. Some of the Premiers, the reporting suggests, is that uh, they're hesitant to go back to any sort of restrictions because the public, uh, there's no appetite for it. Uh, They're essentially uh, fed up. But having said that, is it better to, and nobody wants to go back to uh, what it was, you know, months ago, and again, the Raptors playing with no fans or restaurants down to half capacity or no indoor dining again, but is it better to do that now then? Is that what you're saying, Dr. Gorfinkel, that uh, the time is right now, if we really don't want to prolong this, prolong the uh, pain, that uh, maybe we have to reinstitute some of those initiatives uh, right now so that we're uh, better off uh, in the long run and we lessen the pain? I think time has repeatedly shown you pay now or you pay later. You know, so the payment now is small compared to the payment later, which would involve huge case numbers, untold numbers of people with long COVID. Don't forget that. We don't even know about, never mind long COVID. We don't even know just how severe this disease is going to be. And we have to assume it's going to be severe enough to cause hospitalizations, ICU, and death. I think that's fair to say. And then on top of it, we have to consider that if even if we said, okay, let's just see what happens. Let's roll the dice and see what happens later on. There's a huge price to pay later on. And that could mean our hospitals become overwhelmed. We don't have the facilities to treat the people who need the treatment. And never mind, what about all those other hospitalizations that are then put off? Chemotherapy orthopedic surgery, cataract surgery. And where does it all land? I'll tell you, it lands right here on this GP's shoulder and all the other family doctor's shoulders as we see, you know, you know, waiting times for basic things, laboratory tests, x-rays all go up. It just, it just goes right down. It just trickles right down to the family doctor, to Mm -hmm. the primary care. Okay, got to step aside, get a quick break, but more ahead with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, vaccine researcher, when we continue here on Global News Radio. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink. 